When I first began, you know, we would go down to Austin, there'd be one or two ordinances that we would look at and say, you know, this is not historically what a city does. This is usually what the state is doing. And then all of a sudden, you know, that has gone on steroids. In the last couple of sessions, we've seen just crazy things in my mind coming out of cities. I mean, we have wonderful mayors and city councilmen, and I think they run for office to do great things. Take care of police, fire, streets, you know, sewer. I mean, just core government functions. However, they have now been in several jurisdictions co-opted into passing, you know, some ordinances that are just beyond what they normally do. And so that is where we came to and said, look. The state of Texas has regulatory agencies. We have industry groups. We have attorneys that debate these bills and have done so for 100 years in these areas. This is the place where those debates should happen. And just because particular organizations can't get their way at the state capitol in Austin, they shouldn't go around the state cherry-picking city councils to try to get that agenda through that way. That is State Representative Dustin Burroughs of Lubbock talking about the need for a bill that he authored, Texas House Bill 2127. The Texas Regulatory Consistency Act limits the powers of municipalities from enacting ordinances that conflict with state law. A few years ago, the cities of Austin, San Antonio, and Dallas enacted ordinances mandating that private employers offer their employees paid sick leave benefits. A judge later ruled against the cities, stating that they had no jurisdiction to implement a mandate like that because it falls under the purview of the state. Burroughs' bill is an attempt to determine who has the right-of-way at the intersection of business and public policy and at the intersection of city versus state. The Texas Regulatory Consistency Act passed in the Texas Senate and passed with bipartisan support in the House. In June, Governor Abbott signed the bill, which was scheduled to become law on September 1, 2023. There has been a lot of confusion over what the bill does and doesn't do. And that's why we thought we should go to the source. So we sat down with bill author, State Representative Dustin Burroughs. He is an attorney by trade who represents the 83rd District of the Texas House of Representatives from his home in Lubbock, and he chairs the powerful House Calendars Committee. We also invited Annie Spillman to join our conversation. Spillman is the Texas State Director for the National Federation of Independent Business, also known as NFIB, in Austin. Spillman has served in this capacity since 2018, and she's been supporting a legislative preemption bill for the past three legislative sessions. This interview was recorded in San Antonio on Friday, August 11th, before a live audience. So, ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Chairman Dustin Burroughs and Annie Spillman. For our listeners, as you could tell by that applause, this is our first podcast episode to be recorded in front of a live audience. And I'd like to thank um, our host, Larry Mendez of CBRE Commercial Real Estate Services for hosting us in their beautiful facility here at the Pearl in San Antonio. Mr. Chairman, I'm going to start with you. Prior to the introduction of the bill and one of the comments you made quite often, both in state affairs and on the floor, was preemption already exists in the Texas Constitution. It is probably the most clear thing in the Constitution when it comes to home rule city status, because this really is a bill about our home rule cities. And it says, we will allow you to have some autonomy in doing what you want, which is different than counties and general law cities who get their power from us. However, you can pass no ordinance that actually conflicts with state law. 
That is in there. That was set up by our forefathers in the Constitution for a very long period of time. And I think 2127, the Texas Regulatory Consistency Act, merely fleshes that out and basically gives full force and effect to what the Constitution already says. Annie, uh, this was not the first session this issue came up. I know you've been tip of the spear on this issue for Mm -hmm. the past three sessions at least. Mm -hmm. And this has been a top priority of NFIB going back to the 2019 session, I believe. Right. Um, It was in 2018 we started to see first the city of Austin come forward with uh, trying to regulate private employment practices in the way of passing paid sick leave, mandating paid sick leave in a very authoritarian manner. Um, It wasn't just to provide paid sick leave for their employees, but it seemed very suspicious because what the ordinance would do would create subpoena power for the city. That's a scary thought. It's very scary. And if a mere allegation was made against a small business employer who doesn't have in-house compliance officers, they don't have attorneys, uh, these folks truly don't even know that a new ordinance or a new law has been passed until they're slapped with a fine. Um, But if an allegation has been made that they are not in compliance with this new local ordinance, and again, they may not even live in Austin, now the city has... Uh, subpoena power over their records. And and just so you know, I've got the uh, Austin ordinance in front of me, and it's the subpoena is over any relevant information that uh, would need, be needed for the investigation. So this could include employer records, proprietary information. And um, I, and who, de- who defines who, who the word defines, relevant? Who defines that? And I want you to know that this in Austin, and granted, Everyone can, you know, opponents can continue to say just like they said when we were going through this, and, and I, I might be jumping the gun, but we're talking about the subpoena power part. You know, well, this, the paid sick leave ordinance that didn't go into effect, it was passed, okay? It was passed in Austin, San Antonio. But very scary, very scary for several of my members in the room here that, you know, they could have information over you, but the office that was going to oversee this in Austin, the Equal Opportunity and Fair Housing Office, was going to be overseen by the Workers' Defense Project, which is a local labor union. It's the fox guarding the hen house. I'm not saying they're a bad group. I'm saying they don't like private employers. They're trying to unionize and take over every small and large business in the state of Texas. Is this an example of the old adage, pass whatever you want to pass and let me make the rules? For the regulatory uh, compliance part where that's where the real power comes? I think that the the crux of the bill and everything is, you know, when I, this is my fifth session. And, you know, over when I first began, you know, we would go down to Austin. There'd be one or two ordinances that we would look at and say, you know, this is not historically what a city does. This is usually what the state is doing. And then all of a sudden, you know, that has gone on steroids. In the last couple of sessions, we've seen just crazy things in my mind coming out of cities. I mean, we have wonderful mayors and city councilmen, and I think they run for office to do great things, take care of police, fire, streets, you know, sewer, I mean, just core government functions. However, they have now been in several jurisdictions co-opted into passing, you know, some ordinances that are just beyond what they normally do. And so that is where we came to said, look, The state of Texas has regulatory agencies. We have industry groups. We have attorneys that debate these bills and have done so for 100 years in these areas. This is the place where those debates should happen. And just because particular organizations can't get their way at the state capitol in Austin, they shouldn't go around the state cherry-picking city councils to try to get that agenda through that way. Prior to laying your bill out, 
you refer to local ordinances across Texas as a Byzantine array of rules every time you cross a city limit sign. The Senate sponsor of your bill, Senator Brandon Creighton, called it a litany and patchwork of different ordinances across the state that are an impossible compliance nightmare for businesses. It's anti-business, anti-growth, anti-job creation, and anti-Texas. Absolutely. Let's talk about, you know, a city or two who've adopted predictive scheduling. The idea that you actually are required under Sydney ordinance to tell your employees two weeks in advance what their schedule is going to be. And if you do not do that, then you have to pay them, you know, one and a half times, you know, uh, their or hourly wage. You know, imagine operating a business in two or three different jurisdictions, you know, and not knowing which way you have to go. What about if you're an airline? You know, and you actually have, you know, a stewardess who starts starts in Dallas but flies into Austin. And you're wondering about your overtime ordinances at the city or your paid sick leave or these advanced predictive scheduling. You know, who are you supposed to comply with? It is a real cost to business. And the people who came and testified for the bill and the small business owners across the state I've talked to since it went into effect say this is real this is a real good for us. This is going to help our bottom line, help us expand, help us be able to employ more people. We should be celebrating business on a daily basis for what it actually does here in the state of Texas. Well, construction companies come to mind as mm-hmm. well. If there's a bad weather and you can't have people working outdoors, uh, the predictive scheduling issue uh, becomes a true burden. It does. And I'll tell you, you know, it's funny because – You talk about regulatory consistency and some sort of certainty. The one thing that a small business owner can be certain about is that there's no certainty. And so especially in industries like that or the restaurant industry. And so, for instance, like one of the things that folks in the service industry do is they've got apps now where the waiters can go back and forth and say, hey, can you cover my shift? Can you not? The people that know how to operate their businesses and the people that want to work with their employers, employees are the employers. And so that's why it's the flexibility that works. And you know, when we're asking our small business owners what their biggest problems and priorities are, it's uncertainty over government regulation and uncertainty over economic conditions. Mr. Chairman, it seems that this was the error during the effort to push paid sick leave. Look, you know, I'll be a little cynical on this. It was never about the workers. It was about the labor unions who couldn't get their agenda passed at the state house. Right. They want to have a way to be on the job site and to talk to people. And so they're doing it this direction. I've had so many mayors and city councilmen privately thank me for this bill because now when these groups come to them and try to get these passed, they say, wait a second, I'm sorry, we can't because of 2127. They are grateful they're no longer put into that enviable position, because these are good people and constituents of theirs, and having to say no to them because it sounds good. So again, during your floor debate and and House State Affairs, you talked a lot about visiting with stakeholders. Did you meet with mayors or city representatives um, who wanted to tweak something or amend something? Absolutely. And I mean, the city of Fort Worth, and I think there's been some op-eds in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, I met with them several times, and I made some changes based upon what the mayor had asked me for and some things that she brought up and really good ideas and opinions. I talked to my mayor back home. I got on the phone with several mayors of uh, uh, colleagues of mine who said, my mayor is concerned about this, this, and this. There was a propaganda campaign to say this bill did a lot of things that it didn't. And so my colleagues would say, my mayor has heard that we're not going to be able to have, you know, clean streets or overgrown lots and things of that nature. And so I would jump on the phone with the mayor. 
I would find in the statute where they still got to do all these things, and they would usually leave that conversation saying, I was lied to. I was hoodwinked by this propaganda machine. As Chairman Burroughs was advocating for the passage of House Bill 2127 on the House side, his counterpart in the Senate was doing the same in the Senate chamber. Here is the Senate sponsor of House Bill 2127, Senator Brandon Creighton of Montgomery County, discussing the bill on the Senate floor. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick is presiding. Senator Creighton, you're recognized to spend the regular order of business on House Bill 2127. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, members, the Texas Regulatory Consistency Act is perhaps the most pro-business, pro-growth piece of legislation we'll consider this session, not because of what it creates, but because of what it prevents. Two of the best witnesses we had in committee, uh, and this has been for years as we brought this legislation forward in many different sessions, was a small business owner, a female business owner that owned Cinnabon locations uh, in uh, the San Antonio and I-35 corridor, and then, of course, the owner of County Line Barbecue. The female small business owner to which Creighton was referring is Lisa Fullerton of San Antonio. Here, she's testifying in the House State Affairs Committee on March 15, 2023, where committee chairman Todd Hunter of Corpus Christi presided. Lisa Fullerton. So, Lisa, state your name, your title, and your position on the bill. My name is Lisa Fullerton. I am a franchisee business owner for Auntie Anne's Pretzels in Cinnabon. We like to say we're in the health food business. And I am testifying today on behalf and for this bill. And this is the third session that I have come to testify on behalf of common sense regulation. I really like the phrase that this is a stay in your lane bill because I think that's how small business finds this. Government is not the only pressure. I have landlords. I have two franchisors. I've got inflation. I've got mandates that are, as I run my business, that are outside the influence of government. So when we look at government mandates coming from a variety of different directions, often it feels out of left field. And it's my understanding that the cities are not losing or their authority or this bill is usurping that. This is just to clarify that they're doing things and recommending things that were never in their purview to begin with. So I'm, I'm just asking you, imploring you to please help us get it across the finish line this session. Thank you. Once again, House Bill 2127 author, State Representative Dustin Burroughs of Lubbock. We, I should not be the face of this bill. You know, Governor Abbott should not be the face of this bill. None of the elected officials should be the face of this bill. Lisa should be the face of this bill. This is who we celebrate, taking the chance with their capital and their risk in creating jobs and doing these things. And these are the community that came to us, constituents, real people doing good things and wanted that predictability, that certainty, and basically making sure everyone stayed in their lane so that they can just run their business on a daily basis. That's who I want the face of this bill to be and who deserves it. Many municipalities and their trade association, the Texas Municipal League, testified against the bill. Once again, House State Affairs Committee Chairman Todd Hunter. State your name, your position, and, and your, where you stand on the bill. Yes, sir. 
My name is Jeff Coyle. I'm an assistant city manager for the city of San Antonio, and we are opposed to HB 2127. Like a lot of people in the room, I think we have spent weeks trying to make sense of this bill. We've literally had a team of attorneys combing through every single code, and that was before more codes were added to the committee sub, uh, trying to identify fields that may preempt some of the local ordinances that, that our community has asked us to follow. It's just as you were doing, Representative Turner, it's an exercise in exhaustion. Once again, NFIB Texas State Director Annie Spillman. I've represented small business owners through NFIB for over nine years and before that with independent insurance agents for six years. I don't have a lot of sympathy because small business owners, like I said earlier, they don't have that liberty. They don't have the time. They don't have the money and they don't have the attorneys. And so like with what we've seen with some of these other ordinances and frankly, even some of the things that our very own legislature have passed, um, you know, not all of them are members of organizations. They they simply just don't have the liberty to vet all of these laws that are thrown in front of them. Um, you know, they're being hit from the bottom, from the middle, from the top. And regulation costs a small business owner 26% more in as far as um, as it's applied to their employees than it does a larger business. When it costs a small business owner more, that's going to cost our local economy more because they're going out of business and they employ over 5 million people in our state. Um, they account for 99.8% of all of the jobs in this country and half of our GDP. But my members have been scared for three years it was in the courts. And my members didn't know what to do. Do we keep our doors open? We have to halt. We can't hire any more people because now we don't know if we're going to have to have this paid sick leave program. We don't know if we're going to have to have predictive scheduling. They've had to put their operations at a halt. And so, yeah, those kind of comments don't sit well with me and my over 22,000 members in the state of Texas. Um, they just they don't sympathize with that. Mr. Chairman, for years, Republicans said that they believed very strongly in local control. Uh, I'm assuming that was the case until the point that the two of you have described when many local communities in Texas began to push paid sick leave, predictive scheduling, many other employer type issues. Yeah, I absolutely believe in local control, and I do not think this bill offends it in the slightest. In fact, I think it takes care of the locals in a lot of different manners. But it is what you're saying. I mean, it, it just goes back to kind of the historical perspective. I mean, for a long time, there's been a phenomenal relationship with between cities and city governance and the state, and there still will be in the future. This bill does not end that by any stretch of the imagination. However, because of outside interest groups— that cannot get their agenda through the state capitol. We've just seen this over and over and over again. And it's not just in Texas. This is happening across the entire country. We've seen the literal dumpster fires that Seattle and Portland have become. I mean, it's on the news. Um, I'll give you a, a crazy example, which probably was coming to Austin very soon. Denver decided to ban all, the sale of all eggs that were not raised cage-free. When you think about what that does to the actual demand and the cost of eggs in there, they had a huge egg shortage. Restaurants couldn't find them and buy them. I mean, just because somebody thought that, you know, they cared more about chickens than they did about actually feeding people. And so these are the type of things that we saw that were organized, right? It wasn't just a random person having an idea that we want to ban cage-free eggs. It was part of a movement that they were trying to get in city after city after city. And because they were doing that, this was a very 
good way and approach to kind of slow down and halt the insanity that was coming. And then in certain parts of the country, uh, local communities are trying to ban the sale of gas stoves or ban the construction, the developer, the home builder from putting gas stoves. With new construction. New construction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Mr. Chairman, let's go. I'm going to do a speed round here with you, and I want you to tell me yes or no if your bill will allow municipalities continue working on these key issues. Zoning. Yes. Taxis, limousines, and rideshare. Yes. Unrestrained animals. Yes. Pawn shops. Yes. Billboards. Yes. Uh, disorderly conduct. Yes. Junkyards, flea markets. Yes. Daycare centers. Yes. Massage parlors. Yes. Sexually oriented businesses. Yes. Uh, shooting ranges. Yes. City parks, entertainment districts, libraries. Yes. Historic preservation, they'll still be able to do. Yes. Uh, public safety, including police and fire and jails. Absolutely, yes. Water restrictions. Yes. Parking and transportation. Yes. Mosquito control. They can still do mosquito control. Fireworks. Yes. Payday lending. Yes. Non-discrimination ordinances. Of course, yes. Puppy mills. Yes. So where's the controversy? Well, you know, I'll, I'll say you've, you, I'll add a couple um, because this has been added, um, the door-to-door sales. One of the things that in San Antonio has been brought up a couple of times because they had the nice, the big rig in the background, the 18-wheeler parking. In a neighborhood. In a neighborhood. That's addressed explicitly in the occupations code, state occupations code, but also nuisances. So when you're talking about short-term rentals, and a lot of times dealing with short-term rentals, zoning, uh, nuisances, things like that, you can control parking. But there's just a lot of things. There's not been one instance in the whole time that as stakeholders, we've worked on the bill, as the chairman's worked on the bill, that a city, a county, or any opponent has brought any item up, regulatory item, that we have not found in code that they don't have explicit power or that we've just not addressed in this bill that they could still regulate. So, um, Mr. Chairman, under your bill, the things they can't do, they cannot dictate to an employer, I would assume, how much they pay their employees. Correct. That's state purview. Um, What kind of benefits they offer their employees. Correct. You talked about predictive scheduling. Yes. We've talked about gas stoves. Uh, We've talked about cage-free eggs. Evictions. Evictions. Um, So those are things, just to go back to Lisa Fullerton's point, those are things that perhaps the city shouldn't have been doing to begin with. Absolutely agree. And a lot of the fear that's out there about what this bill doesn't do is part of what they did to try to kill the bill in the legislature. The you know organizations who didn't want this because of whatever reasons came out there and threw these laundry lists of things and sent them to all of the you know city managers and city attorneys and mayors and said if twenty one twenty seven you know is passed you're not going to be able to regulate mosquito control in junkyards and all of these things or uh, burglar alarms and and they just kept sending it and we would find in statute and show people exactly where cities still get to do this however. It got so widely disseminated, we're still dealing with this false narrative that was created by the opposition in a effort to slow down and kill the bill. We Bills, actually, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I mean, we created a fact check document that lives online. It's a living document um, because they, they've purposely had us chasing our tail. The good news is we keep catching it. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's not one of those, you know, it's it's a very long 
tell. But I wanted, if you don't mind, I wanted to add on that with the express preemption. You know, it is employment leave, hiring practices, breaks, employment benefits, scheduling practices, and other terms of employment that exceed or conflict with federal or state law. So understand that this won't be some lawless society. There are state and federal regulations, and still in all the things that you just discussed, there will be local protections. But beyond that, this is why I think it's um, dangerous and misguided when the media has said there will no longer be rest breaks. I think it's dangerous in that that people might think that they are not allowed to have rest breaks because employers are giving rest breaks. But furthermore, employers are offering all kinds of benefits and things voluntarily. They're doing that without the government telling them to do. They've been doing that for ages. They're going to continue to do that. They're going to continue to offer safe work environments. And I tell you what, if they're not in this market, they're going to be shut down and people are going to go find another job. Well, in, in a in a free society, right. uh, you have that ability. If I don't like the benefits you're offering me, I can go work for you. Yeah, and the beauty about Texas is, you know, the, the governor's done a great job and our legislature's done a great job of you know, building an environment that we have a lot of great companies that are headquartering here. Good and bad, right? It creates a lot of competition. Competition's good. Our small business owners have never said, that's not fair. They say, look, that's fine. Just give us the chance to compete as well, period. Let's eliminate the barriers, and that's it. And let me just just to echo some of the points you made. This is not a bill about no regulation. It's a bill about double regulation. It is only where the state or the federal government is already regulating particular practices or industries, and we have regulatory authorities that are doing this. We're saying, this is it. We're going to have one single regulator you know, that's already doing this. You're not going to have double regulation. This is not a no regulation, lawless type of situation. So the way your bill refers to it is occupying a field that the state already regulates. Exactly. De- define occupying a field. So ba- so when historically, when you actually know historically it's something the state has done, when we have a regulatory body or agency that's already overseeing it, when you see we have statutes that are trying to actually regulate it, we are occupying that field. Now, one of the items that kept being brought up over and over again during testimony was lawsuits. First of all, I think you added a provision, a three-month clause. Um, explain that. Yeah. So so basically, we did, we did not actually create a new lawsuit. I want to be very clear. Already under the Uniform Declaratory Judgment Act, people had the opportunity to bring a uh, declaratory judgment action to find out about whether an ordinance is constitutional or not. That already existed. We just wanted to put in statute that immunity was waived so you can actually bring it. So it was not a new lawsuit. We were basically codifying what was already existed by court law. And because we were listening to people and we were listening to you know cities and our colleagues, they said, you know, we really don't want this to be a situation where a city gets trapped and all of a sudden they wake up and there's lawsuits. They need a reasonable opportunity to figure out what's going on. So we put a notice requirement in there. We said, look, before you actually can go forward with a lawsuit, and mind you, there's no money damages, right? You can't sue a city and get money out of it other than attorney's fees. It's not a money maker for them. It's just an opportunity to go there, but you got to send them a 90-day notice. So the city attorneys has 90 days to review the ordinance, review the statute, come to an analysis, and give the city council an opportunity to fix the ordinance or repeal it so that they don't have to deal with the lawsuit whatsoever. 
So another clause that you added in there was um, uh, giving associations uh, standing. So Annie, I'm assuming that would be an opportunity for your members to be able to have, or members of a trade, uh, national home, uh, Texas home builders, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, and that was really important. You know, I think any business is is fearful of any sort of retaliation or reprisal, but especially a, a small business. Again, they don't have pots of money sitting around to hire legal counsel, but. For many reasons, businesses join associations, but in, in especially in this case, to have an association to stand beside and behind your association um, that can put you know their name behind it, but not just fear of the city maybe coming after you, but somebody that might protest your business or put a bad Yelp review up. I mean, you don't you don't know it's endless. I mean, at any given moment, these businesses could be attacked for anything that they're doing. They could make anything up. So. The association standing was very important. So so far, there's only been one lawsuit filed, and it was by the cities, not against them. Uh, right. But, you know, my expectation is there will only be a handful that get filed. But the, really the beauty of this legislation, in my opinion, is before a new statute gets passed or a new ordinance gets passed by a city council, they're going to have to slow down and think about whether or not it conflicts with already existing state law. And so I think it's going to put a pause and a slowdown and a more thoughtful process, you know, where this stuff was starting to ramp up. Despite the controversial nature of the bill, the numerous attempts to amend the bill and the numerous attempts to kill the bill through various points of order, on April 19th, House Bill 2127 finally returned to the House floor for a vote on final passage. Texas House Speaker Dade Phelan is presiding. The truly loud on third reading, HB 2127, the clerk will read the bill. HB 2127 by Burroughs, relating to state preemption of certain municipal and county regulation. The chair recognizes Mr. Burroughs, explain the bill. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Members, this is the bill we heard yesterday. Move passage. The question of the on final passage, HB 2127, there's a record vote, the clerk will read the bill. Show Mr. Burroughs voting aye. Mr. Excel voting aye. Have all members voted? There will be 92 hours and 56 days. HB 2127 is finally passed. The NFIB wasn't alone in their support of House Bill 2127. They were surrounded by a host of business organizations, like the Texas Association of Business, and 15 other industry trade groups, like the Texas Restaurant Association, the Texas Apartment Association, and others that came together to form the Alliance for Securing and Strengthening the Economy in Texas, also known as the Asset Coalition. In the final days of the legislative session, just two weeks before they were to adjourn sine die, House Bill 2127 came back up on the Senate floor for final passage. For Senator Brandon Creighton, this marked the third legislative session he would champion this bill on the Senate floor, and he implored his colleagues to support the bill so that Texas may provide job creators and paycheck providers the regulatory certainty and consistency that the bill delivered. Each one of us represents entrepreneurs, mom and pop, small business owners who do everything they can to keep their doors open and to support their employees. These business owners take the risk day to day, create the jobs, drive the Texas economic engine, which lifts up our national economy. And this bill lifts up our business owners 
more than any bill we will pass this session. Thank you members for your support. Mr. President, I move final passage of House Bill 2127. Secretary will call the roll. Alvarado, Bettencourt, 18 ayes, 13 nays. The bill is finally passed. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. And thank House Member Burroughs for the bill. The bill passed in the Texas House and the Texas Senate. In June, Governor Abbott signed the bill. In July, the city of Houston filed a lawsuit against the state of Texas in an attempt to stop the enactment of the bill. The suit alleges that House Bill 2127 contradicts the constitutional authority given to home rule cities. Since the Houston suit was filed, San Antonio and El Paso also joined the suit, and a host of other cities stated their intention to do the same. After the recording of this interview, the newly formed Freedom Litigation Center at the Texas Association of Business filed an amicus brief in support of House Bill 2127, as did the NFIB and the other industry trade associations in the Asset Coalition. So we asked Chairman Burroughs this, what is your message to those cities filing the suit? So first off, we're going to prevail in the lawsuit. Texas is. I, you know, I think a lot of this is to get their message out. I'm happy to work with them and hear their concerns. But, you know, honestly, I wish I'd heard more of their legitimate concerns during the legislative session when the bill was being debated and deliberated rather than now that the court cases have been filed. And what is your message to municipalities on how to move forward with any future ordinances? Well, so first off, I think 95 to 99 percent of the things that they do are not going to be touched or affected by this. On a day-to-day basis, when we think about what a city is doing, talking about police, fire, roads, the things that we do, and all the laundry list you read, they're never going to come up against any sort of wall that this bill actually does create. But to the extent somebody comes to them with a you know idea that sounds good, now they're just going to have to slow down, pause, and think, what is the effect going to be on a small business? Are they already regulated by the state of Texas? And hopefully, hopefully they make the decision just to forego the opportunity of scoring maybe political points and passing that ordinance and just focusing on their core competencies. Annie, what is your message to your small business members? If this truly was some authoritarianism, as uh, the mayor had said it was, this legislation would have passed three sessions ago. That's not the case. This took three sessions worth of educating. It took us pounding the pavement. It took us getting our members to make calls. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of tears. I want these small business owners to know that they're not alone, and they do have people that are looking after them, and they want their betterment of what they're doing. They want these businesses to stay open. Mr. Chairman, do you find it ironic that municipalities who were pushing paid sick leave, interfering in the employer-employee relationship, predictive scheduling, gas stoves, and all those other issues, that they accuse the legislature of overstepping the line? Absolutely. Of course. I mean, it is uh, somewhat you know comical. I also find it really interesting that the biggest complaint that they have is we just want certainty and we just want predictability, you know, with this law. And of course, that's what all the small businesses who ought to be the face of it are crying out for. But I'll say one more thing. And, and, and you touched on this at the beginning. This is not a Republican bill. I think it's often thought of as, well, this is just Republicans versus Democrats. This was passed bipartisan in the House. 
I had business owners. I had you know people of all political persuasions, and I had authors on both sides of the aisle who looked at this as just common, normal sense. It has become politicized by the opposition. It should not be. It is one of the most common sense, easy to understand bills. I think that's been passed, and honestly. I think it'll probably be the most important bill that we've passed for the next few decades to come, making sure we keep the small business dream alive here in Texas. During our podcast recording session, San Antonio City Councilman Mark White held a roundtable with Chairman Burroughs and NFIB Spillman to give San Antonio entrepreneurs and business leaders the chance to question them directly. In addition to the business audience members, Two of Burroughs' House colleagues, State Representative Steve Allison and State Representative John Lujan, were also in attendance. Here now is City Councilman Mark White. Well, I definitely want to thank Representative Lujan and, and Representative Allison for being here today. And, and they, uh, as I mentioned earlier, supported um, this bill. And Two of the best members of the House. Glad to see them here. Well, they, uh, they've been great to me and, and great for San Antonio. So I'm, I'm glad they're here. Um, so let's open it up for questions. Does anybody um, off the bat? Yeah, Louie. Okay, I'm Louie Barrios. My family's been in the restaurant business for 51 years. Now we have four restaurants and about 300 employees. So in small business, we navigate a minefield, and that minefield has road construction, Yelp reviews, the, the marketplace, everything imaginable. And so um, public policy from three levels of government, local, state, and federal. So this minefield, anything that whenever a small business person can hit a certain mine and that's it, it can blow up the whole business. So any one of these mines can just put us out of business. And so just keep that in mind when you're when you're making your point. It's a it's a real simple message that people can understand. Well, and I, I do think that we need to be celebrating small business owners like you. We need to recognize all the time what that does for the rest of the economy, the people you employ, the jobs it provides, the opportunities, sometimes first jobs, sometimes second and last jobs, the independent contractors. I mean Real opportunity is created because you're out there with the entrepreneurial spirit and the idea that, you know, some extra regulations could shut that down is horrifying. But I do have one one kind of just question for your business. If predictive scheduling came your way and you had to take all your wait staff and everybody else and give them advance notice two weeks in advance of what their schedule was going to be, and if not, you had to pay them time and a half, what would that do to a business like yours? Well, with the weather, people have to do predictive forecasting because if they can't tell me what the weather's going to be, I can't tell you what 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 may be what may happen in our dining rooms, especially patios. And look, and look I, I I sympathize with some of the council people. That I'm sure somebody comes to me and says, you know, look, there's these people and they didn't get their advance notice, and and it sounds good, right? I mean, it sounds like you want to have a heart, but you got to remember what it does to the business like yours, the practicality. Well, of it. restaurant business has got the lowest profitability per employee and the lowest revenue for employees. So when I tell these electeds, I say, hey, listen, uh, there's rich businesses and poor businesses. You love to help poor people. Well, what about poor industries? The restaurant industry is the poorest of all the different business models out there. We're, we're the, the low man on the totem pole. One of my questions was, you mentioned that Fort Worth 
um, was one of the cities that had come to you and talked about some of their concerns. C can you share any, any of what you worked on with them to adjust in the bill? Yeah, so uh, probably the primary one is we, we gave standing to bring the declaratory judgment actions in contiguous counties. So basically, if you wanted to basically bring you, uh, one of these declaratory judgments, you'd go to the neighboring county thinking that would give business owners some more options and things like that. And Fort Worth, and, and I sat down with Mayor Parker, and she's fantastic in my opinion. And she said, I do not want Dallas to have control over what's happening in Fort Worth. And I said, you make a pretty good point. And we talked, you know, and did some things. There was probably some other things, but that in particular, we revised it. I mean, based upon the conversation with her, we revised it. Early on, you know, there was some confusion about, you know, maybe some things that could be taken away from cities that general law cities could do. And I met with, you know, representatives of cities and they said, it would be helpful to make sure that, you know, we still get this minimum floor of all the traditional functions, that laundry list that probably we got through, you know, maybe a one hundredth of what they can still do by statute. And I said, why don't we just put that in the bill? I mean, I think it's already there, but we'll make it explicit so that nobody's confused that you still get to have all the same powers as a general law city that's spelled out in the local government code. So there was tweaks that we made along the way to make sure on the immunity waiver, we made sure qualified immunity was not waived in there. Uh, and so there was real concerns that were brought. And by the way, Councilman, thank you for speaking your mind and saying what you think about this and being brave and doing that. And, 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 and I mean that I'm, I'm very appreciative of you and Annie and I pass around every time you say something, we pass around text messages and we high five and we're, and it's, it's fantastic. But, you know, even privately, you know, a lot of mayors and council have come to me and they really are grateful for this. I mean, you know, maybe there's some things that, you know, their city attorneys are going to have to, you know, think about a little bit more, but they are happy that when, you know, groups show up at city hall, to try to pass paid sick leave ordinances, they get to just say no. And some in the room are probably wondering, but did anybody from the city here in San Antonio reach out to y'all and, and, and try to talk about it one-on-one -on -one with you with you guys? So I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going I'm to give a little bit of a lawyerly answer. I don't remember that happening, but, you know, there is a ton of things flying around during you know, periods of time. But my door was always open to anybody who wanted to sit down and have the conversation. You know, if your conversation was, I want you to gut your own bill, I wasn't really, there was a short conversation. But, you know, to the extent that, you know, people had legitimate questions and things, we tried to respond to them. And, uh, you know, I remember being on the House floor and being handed cell phones of colleagues to talk to mayors from around the state and was always happy and available to do that. We have industry groups and regulators and attorneys and all of these debates that happen, you know, at the state capitol, because for a hundred years, you know, plus this is where we have built, you know, having these debates and these forums and things of that nature. It is the right and appropriate place to vet ideas. Some sound good, but on the back end, we realize there's compliance costs and things like that. And just because some groups can't get their feel-good ideas done at the state capitol, they shouldn't come down and take advantage in these city council, in these city halls to try to get it done. And that's what we just have to stop. And that's not because we dislike cities or we dislike labor or things like that. We're just restoring the traditional notions of which lane different government's supposed to be. The states have got to work with the cities. I mean, everybody should be working together. And here in San Antonio, I mean, we've got two great representatives right here in the room to which our council and, and, and our mayor could have reached out, you know, through Steve or through John and said, hey, maybe we can facilitate a conversation with the folks that are putting this bill together. 
I, I enjoyed getting to be the bad guy for a good cause, but I had great compatriots who believe in, you know, small business tour in this room. I want to again recognize John and Steve. They stood with me on this fight the entire time. They believe in business. They are pro-business. And I appreciate both of y'all being here and standing for this bill. I know it was important to y'all as well. So thank y'all. On Wednesday, August 30th, Travis County Judge Maya Geta Gamble granted Houston's motion for summary judgment and denied the state's motion to dismiss the suit brought forth by the city of Houston. The judge's ruling is a declaratory statement of the bill's constitutionality, but does not prevent Texas business owners or associations from taking actions against cities or counties with ordinances in violation of House Bill 2127. Presumably, the legislation is still effective September 1st as the litigation makes its way through the court system. NFIB, the Texas Association of Business, and the Asset Coalition strongly disagree with the judge's decision as they remain confident the courts will uphold the Texas Regulatory Consistency Act. They are hopeful the state of Texas will swiftly appeal the ruling, and Representative Burroughs says he will take his bill all the way to the Texas Supreme Court. In other words, stay tuned. This concludes this episode of Beyond the Bite. A special thanks to CBRE Commercial Real Estate Services for hosting our event today. We also thank State Representative Dustin Burroughs, Annie Spillman, San Antonio City Councilman Mark White, and the members of our live audience. This podcast is a production of Aldetta Strategic Partners, LLC. It is edited by Nick Chamberlain of Every Word Media. Until next time, we thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.